0: Dr Morris Duffy and I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted to have one of the leading uh, leaders within the NHS with me today and that is Jim Mackey. Hey Jim how are you doing? I'm good hi Morris. how are you? I'm all right I'm all right where do we find you today? So I'm in North
1: Tyneside Hospital today. i am um, still being in largely throughout the, uh, the kind of lockdown process and uh, so yeah I'm sat at my desk North Tyneside looking out into an empty car park.
0: Into an empty camera, and obviously I have to ask, what's happening in the hospital at the moment, where are you in the crisis curve? Is it mm-hmm. calm or is it panic? So we, we thought when, when it all kicked off, our predictions was that we're going to
1: peak at around Easter weekend in terms of patients coming in with the COVID uh, infection. And that proved to be just about right. We were very well prepared, so our clinical teams managed it very well. And since then, we've seen a gradual easing out and decline of patients coming in and bed occupancy, et cetera. So at the moment, we're running on about 60% bed occupancy. And um, we've got roughly 40 patients in who are COVID positive, And we have about 900 beds. So what we're really focused on now is restoring public confidence that it's safe to come in for other things and, um, and try and use the summer months to just get ahead of that. Um, in case we have another you know comeback of it
0: in the uh, in the winter, and have you seen the drop off in other cases coming in? Um,
1: yeah, so that's that's our main worry. To be honest, we uh, I think the NHS nationally and certainly here and regionally managed that uh, anticipated a, a peak in demand at the beginning very very well. When we look back now, we had to curtail a lot of other activities as a result of just getting ready for that and giving ourselves the best chance. So we're seeing a huge drop off in presentations of people who've had strokes or heart attacks or mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis, you know, uh, symptoms, et cetera. So really now just trying to reach out to people and encourage them to access services and, and, and get them to them. And,
0: and would that be your message to people is that, you know, to come in like to, to trust the system you know, that, that you're open for business?
1: Absolutely. The NHS is very safe. And um, and I think when you look back, you know, I did a bunch of presentations last week. Since lockdown, uh, as of Friday, we'd had about 14,000 admissions in that period. And you would think from the media that like maybe eight or nine or 10,000 of those would be COVID admissions. We'd had about just over 500 COVID-positive admissions in that period out of that 12,000, 13,000, 14,000 admissions depending on which day you look at. So we're very safe. We've done, uh, the clinical team's done a fantastic job in terms of uh, segmentation and uh, all the distancing and the usual hygiene you would expect because we do this for other things as well, you know, in winter with norovirus and flu and those sorts of issues. So uh, they're very safe environments and we really need people to be coming in and getting back to business. Um, albeit it's different because we can't have waiting rooms, which is a good thing anyway. We can't have a crowded ED, which none of us were very comfortable with anyway. So we're having to manage flow in as much as we can and how people move around buildings, but very, very safe and secure places. And this week we're going to do a bit more public-facing comms with live case studies where people have come in and had their... Knee operation, a diagnostic procedure, etc. Sure, that that's absolutely fine.
0: And, and and you know, one of the big questions that that I, that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you won't be surprised, is about uh, staff morale and staff motivation. You know, the, the applause every Thursday for kind of the the NHS staff. You know, how what's your sense of of where people are actually at?
1: So I think this is this has been we've been through lots of waves with this um, this thing, and uh, when I look back now. First of all, it's quite hard to remember how long we've been in lockdown. Everybody's clock sort of distorted. But the thing that really stands out is that uh, that connection between the NHS and the population of the UK, the uh, really, really strong bond. And that appreciation and love at the beginning was really powerful because people were frightened, you know, uh, uh, NHS staff. I, I think of colleagues who I could see fear on their faces when they were getting ready for their first uh, clinical Contact with the condition, etc. So we want to hope, you know, try and build on that. And um, staff have been anxious throughout for various reasons. We've never run out of PPE, but they have in other places. Touchwood, we haven't lost a member of staff yet, and hope we don't ever. But that's quite unusual. And where people have lost the colleague, that's had a big impact. And everybody knows somebody who's died of this. So people have, uh, people have got. You know, bad experiences of that, which is we're just going to stay with them for a long time. We do a early doors. We do, we created a a version of our staff experience work called Corona Voice, where we just wanted to allow staff to tell us how they felt and what we are worried about. And that's been really effective to help us with our next steps and, and what we need to do. So generally, people morale's being great. Actually, fantastic, fantastic team spirit across health, social care, councils, transport, you know, you name it. But people are anxious. And uh, and in this last two weeks, especially, the the realisation that this isn't something that somebody's going to turn up one day and say, or quickly, and say he has a cure or he has a vaccine. You can forget. Unless you're Trump, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, so I think we've, it's something we've got to learn to live with. And, uh, and make sure it doesn't ruin
0: our lives. So what's been, you know, obviously you've, you've seen isolation, you've probably experienced some of it personally, so what's been, you know, what have you found difficult and what have you kind of said, hey, this is good for the future out of this?
1: Yeah, so in terms of isolation and lockdown, I've actually really quite enjoyed it, <laughs> if I'm honest, so... Uh, so not having to do all the running around that we do, you know, on weekends and stuff, and uh, a lot more time with my wife and exercised more. I like to exercise a lot anyway, but managed to get a you know, really good routine for all of that. I've not enjoyed not being able to see the kids and the mother and those sorts of things. So if we could just modify it a little bit, so we could do that, I'd be I'd be happy as Larry to be honest. Yeah. Um, the um, but the whole. We've all had to relearn how we spend our time, haven't we? And how we how we interact, how we work. So we're doing an awful lot more digitally, which is which is great. But there's, there are still times where you just need to be in a room, from a leadership point of view, and and have uh, have uh, human interactions with people. And the NHS is a people thing. It's about human beings. So we're, we're now just trying to uh, get our heads around how digital lives with um, physically distanced. Yeah, human meetings, etc., and in, in ways of working. So I think we'll, uh, I think we've learned a lot from that point of view. We've really transformed how we do things like outpatients, and we've been working on trying to stop patients having to travel for outpatients, and that's just taken off in a huge way, which is, which is really fantastic. So we want to hang on to that. And some of our service models have changed. Where we we moved all of our services around over two days at the beginning, just before lockdown. To, to get ready and um, a lot of them won't change again because they've actually been more successful from our perspective than they were before. So I think with all these things, we've just got to hang on to the bits that have worked, learn from them. There's still a lot of things we're trying out. And, uh, we're just a cup, I'm
0: just getting a cup of tea here. A it's, it's, kind of, it's got a Liverpool mug on it as well. So oh well, I mean, mate, a... You might be awarded the title in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should do. But, you know, what, 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 what would interest me, and I'm sure would interest other people listening, is what's happening in casualty then as well, you know, because yeah. we hear of a lot of people being afraid to go in or being anxious about it, or to an extent staying at home with, you know, with the conditions, which you know, is not going to be particularly helpful to their long-term health. Yeah,
1: so the messaging on this is really complex. For years, we've been worried about uh, being full of patients who really shouldn't be there because their needs could be met elsewhere. Yeah, they didn't really have much wrong with them, but they, had, uh, um, they, they felt the need to come to a or they mm. got drunk and caused the problem. And uh, that was already crowding out real clinical issues that our, our teams wanted to get, get to. And we've been struggling with that for a long time. After the lockdown, volumes dropped to about half normal volumes. And what we were really only seeing were those in extremis and those who thought they were COVID positive. And, and in that distance between what we've been seeing and what we used to see, a chunk of those people have just not really needed much, and that's been fine. They've just found another way of of, of something resolving itself. But there's also a large proportion of that who are people who have genuine disease, and we do, we need to find them and encourage them to, to come in and get treatment for that. So what we're having to work through now is how do we encourage that message without then getting full of the people who really shouldn't be there and still crowding out access for those who really need to worry about. And in a lot of this, a lot of what we've been doing is kind of going back to good old fashioned mechanisms. You know, in the early days of the NHS, there was an awful lot of good old fashioned public health about searching out disease into communities, finding people who were worried about access, didn't know they could get access at that. And I think we're all, gonna have to, we're all going back a bit and just thinking about so how did that work in the 50s when, you know, when people were worried about coming into health buildings and stuff and, and using some of those mechanisms but attached to new technology and new science and new, new approaches.
0: And what advice, Jim, would you give to, you know, and I get asked the question a lot, you know, what advice would you give to people at home? Right? So they're, they're fit, they're healthy, but they're anxious, they're stressed. You know, they're obviously concerned about their parents or about their kids. And 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 what's really interesting, they're anxious about getting free from lockdown, right? So which yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the most bizarre thing. So we were anxious about going into lockdown, but we've almost become comfortable in lockdown. I yeah. feel safe and for some, it's helped relationships, especially with, you know, family distance, family. Um, and for others, it's just built to comfort. So we've built this comfort blanket around us. And now we feel we're being exposed to the world. So, what would you say to those individuals?
1: Yeah. So I think I think there's a few things on that. Um, first of all, everybody wants certainty in the science, in and, and have a really clear set of instructions. And if we're all honest, this is a new coronavirus that we really still don't understand. So there isn't. There's an element of risk in whatever's done. There isn't certainty. So we have to be sensible and exercise our judgment. And, and trying to stick to the rules as best we can. Um, so the, we've still got to, you know, stick to the rules, not just all go out and start crowding each other on the beach and, you know, getting drunk and all those sorts of things can't happen because we will cause more problems as a result of that. I think routine and structure really helps. Uh, humans like and need routine. So if, you, if your normal rhythms are disturbed, create a new one. And, um, if, and that might mean you still have to get up at a certain time and exercise and then, you know, do a bit of work and, you know, all those sorts of things. You'll find that you feel just so much better um, by doing those, uh, those sort of normal, natural uh, rhythms, all being new ones to what you experienced before. Getting fresh air in daylight, you are. There's a reason why people were allowed to do that during lockdown. I think it was a good thing. And we all know we'll feel better when we get out and just get a bit of fresh air and, and clear our heads. So take advantage of those things. But we're now in a more ambiguous phase where it feels like we're neither in lockdown nor free. And and I know from talking to people, that they're very anxious about that. So again, you can't beat sensible judgment just making good, reasoned, common sense judgments.
0: I, I totally, I totally endorse, I totally endorse that, and that, that structure is so important, right, in your day, uh, and the routine is so important, and and you you know, you described it very well when you're kind of knocked out of rhythm, you know, find a new rhythm. That's that's really important. But yeah, I was, I was thinking, you know, when you were saying not rush to the pub, I, I, I have to admit, I will be rushing to the pub the minute <laughs> open. And, and one of the kind of funny things I saw was in Ireland, you know, where they have a uh, Opened up in pretty much the same way as uh, England, about garden centres, etc. All the pubs now have garden centre signs outside. <laughs> Excellent. I selling <laughs> We're selling flowers, and you can have a pint of beer on the side. Too, right? So, so that's. But you know, as um, I, I you know, carrying a, a, a hugely responsible and, and, and you know, stressful job, and you know, and critically important to you know the health of the nation. Yeah, how, how, how do you relax? How do you find time for yourself? How do you, you know, motivate yourself?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a family man. I for relaxation purposes, being with my family is the big thing. Um, so being able to go home and just talk to my wife and FaceTime with the kids or whatever really helps me. I'm an introvert and I work, I have to communicate all the time. So I'm usually tired of communicating when I, when I get home. So I have to work on that a little bit and I don't always get that Uh, get that right but also exercise is a really big thing for me and routine uh, as we talked about earlier on so I'm in a rhythm where I get up early because the kids were swimmers, so I'm still my body clock's broken forever so I'm still up at five I'll do an hour's work I'll walk the dog and exercise and then I'll start you know proper work and when I go in I'll probably exercise again with my wife uh, tonight so the, the, those things just really help. I had a, had a bit of a rough day yesterday where I was just really irritable and um, I, I felt out of rhythm and I was arguing with um, people about some national policies I didn't agree with and all that. So I went home really grumpy and got up this morning with a, with a purpose, and, um, did the usual things, got up, had my breakfast, walked the dog, did a bit of work. Went out and had a nice walk. I walked for, you know, half an hour this morning, didn't push myself, so I didn't run and stuff. Just felt a lot better. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us need to have insight into the fact that we've all got to work at this. It's not, you know, being perfectly balanced and feeling fantastically healthy all the time isn't isn't just something that happens. We've got to take ownership of that and, and try and make it happen.
0: And I, I often say, you know, we're all entitled to a meltdown every now and then. Just don't get comfortable there. Right. Yeah, that's,
1: absolutely.
0: That's that's the kind of critical point. So, you know, I I know you're a swimmer. So swim is swimming your sport? It was it was, yeah. I, mean, I haven't swam
1: for ages now, obviously, with this thing, and I'd sort of got out of the habit before that. But swimming was my thing. At the minute, I'm I'm jogging more. We've been doing my wife and I have been doing Joe Wicks, which is fantastic. I wouldn't have done that before lockdown really enjoying that and we uh, took the plunge and bought a peloton uh, there a couple of weeks ago so I'm, okay. uh, I'm just I had a spin bite anyway but I've just been trying to get my head around uh, using the peloton I'll do something different every day now to just give a bit of variety and uh, and I get I can feel I, I deteriorate over about two days if I don't manage to get some kind of exercise it's always I know, good.
0: that, that Ian, I, I, I agree Yeah, that that exercise and I'm, I'm very similar to you in the sense i go to the beach in the morning with the dog i was out this morning at six o'clock i you know i like the fact the beach is kind of quiet and you know you just get those get those moments so who would be your hero who would be the the, the person you would uh, most admire and, and why, why would they be a hero to you
1: I, I honestly, I really struggle with that one. So, the, the people that are coming to mind, it sound really, uh, really twee, but my um, wife and my dad, actually, for different reasons. And, um, you know, I've got the people that I'm hi- interested in in history and stuff, you know, like uh, Churchill and some of his achievements. And from a sporting perspective, you know, there's some great, Newcastle's had some great footballers over the years and that. But, yeah, I couldn't. Uh, is prep for this? I was thinking he's going to ask us this, and I, I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really come up uh, with a better answer. So I will go with my instinct, my wife, and my dad. Uh,
0: well, that's a, that's a very honest answer because I've asked this question of a lot of people, and uh, you know, they do get the, the, the kind of insight beforehand of the types of questions I'm likely to ask, and uh, you know, so they come up with some 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 interesting some interesting characters. So, what kind of books do you read? Where where do you get the kind of mental uh, stimulation from? Is um, it is it you know, music is it books is it it's
1: it's not music i'm completely musically inept i, I don't know the words to a single song I, whenever a song comes out i always uh, i'm always interested by people who always know what the name of a song is and what the words are i know what i like and what i don't like but i couldn't tell you what they are and um over the last two years i've sort of got really interested in history podcasts which sounds really dull and boring but uh, Dan Snow's History Podcast and uh, The History Hour. And, oh, he's good. He is good. Uh, those sorts of things. I, I I listen to them every day. Um, the last, well, the book that I'm reading at the minute is a is a book written by a local guy, actually, who works in the NHS, uh, Dan Jackson, who's written a book called The Northumbrians, which is a fantastic read. I'm mentioned in one bit of it, which is the whole purpose of, uh, of being interested in the first Where thing. am I? Where am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's it's just a really fantastic read about the history of North Ingrid. and uh, for me, I struggle to read when I'm not a, not on holiday um so I'm just there's always stuff going through my head. but that's a book that I'm able to uh to be able to find a quiet half hour over a weekend and not and just read it
0: and i I've, I've been doing some interesting work with with friends of yours actually, so you know I've been deconstructing swimming uh-huh. And um, been doing so with Chris Cook. We've been doing visualization on deconstructing the swimming. So yeah. we've got to that point of just diving into the water, that first touch of your fingers. So we, we've gone through four or five in the lead up. So our plan is to go right through the whole swimming. So yeah, I'm sure as a swimmer, you might be interested in listening to uh, Chris, not me, but listening yeah, to Chris.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Because uh, I don't have the skill set uh, <laughs> to say what, what you should do. Uh, but but that's interesting so you know i i I thank you for your time but you know what would be your kind of walk away thoughts if you were to, you know people out there listening to it you know as a as i said you know one of the the critical leaders of of health etc what would be your walk away thoughts for them
1: so one of the one of the things that we're working on very hard and i've had to work on myself here is the relentless negativity and focus on the downsides of what's happened we've had we've had tragic deaths and we all know people who've died and uh, it's very very sad isn't it but the NHS has managed this incredibly well in spite of you know the international comparisons are really uh, really hard to make but it's managed it very well and largely people who've had COVID have survived and have recovered and and it's so in all of this there's an there's an awful lot of positives there's an awful lot of successes there's an awful lot of learning etc so we should well, i think we all need including me to avoid getting trapped in the negativity and the and the things that didn't work none of us are perfect so we well, I've had problems with supply chain and ppe and we could have done more at the beginning to to, uh, to embrace nursing homes and all those sorts of things but the NHS is a human entity. It's a human organism. It's 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 built on people, and, and in that, we've seen just people at their best doing doing the most wonderful things you can imagine. In in all of that, we need time to reflect on that and build on it and make things better in the future. So I'll just urge people to not get sucked into the uh, the black part of all of this, the dark part of it. There's always stuff we can take from this to learn and build on
0: and, and and the challenge that we have is that you know people spend 80 percent of their time thinking about what might happen and 20 percent living the experience yeah. and, and you know one of the, the lines that, that that i've been using in order to try and get this message across is that positivity is a virus it does transmit from human to human yeah and so if we can kind of get that the more we are positive and the more we can transmit it the more we can you know, lift ourselves, lift our family and lift the nation. Absolutely. But thank you very much for your time. That was just absolutely fantastic. You know, huge insights. I, I, I really appreciate it, you know, for me as to looking at one of the people that I admire and, and learn from regularly. So I thank you for your time. I do want to register my round of applause <laughs> for the NHS and say thank you. Thank you, Jim, for your time.
1: Thanks Maurice, all the best.
0: If you're interested in change, mindset and personal
1: development, whether in your personal life or career, you can head over to morrisetuffy.com forward slash resources, where you'll be able to access loads of inspirational material, articles, podcasts and motivational thoughts, as well as meditation and visualization exercises. You can also get in touch with Dr. Maurice Duffy and his team by email on letstalkatmorrisetuffy.com. And don't forget to follow him on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Simply search for at the Beak Squawks.